Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of the Mind Body Musings Podcast. Today, we're speaking with David Finch, who is my new best friend. He is a nationally sought-after speaker and mentor with Asperger's Syndrome, and he's the author of the New York Times best-selling memoir, The Journal of Best Practices, a memoir of marriage, Asperger's Syndrome, and one man's quest to be a better husband. As a speaker, Davis shared the stage with Temple Grandin, am I saying that right? I don't know, John Elder Robinson, Steve Silberman, and others. He has written for the New York Times, NBC Universal, Zoom Autism, Slate, and Huffington Post, and he writes a relationship blog for Psychology Today. He has appeared on ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, and P- NPRs, All Things Considered, and This American Life, and has been featured in O, oh, the Oprah Magazine, People, L, Marie Claire, Scientific American, and The Howard Stern Show. Dave is also the co-founder of the Denver-based Front Range Center for Neurodiversity, a revolutionary global center dedicated to transforming the world's narrative around autism. When he's not riding, speaking, or mountain biking, Dave works as a creative marketing and business development consultant for small businesses and Fortune 500 companies. But to his wife, he's just the bastard on the couch. Dave is freaking awesome. This episode is one of my favorite episodes. And I will say, we mentioned this in the episode about getting together because he was coming to Boulder. And we did. And we did go to Ozo's Coffee and hang out. And it was so much fun. And I got to meet his awesome wife. And this is why I podcast, because I get to meet the coolest people around the world. And now I have pretty much a new twin because we are alike in so many crazy ways. But the original reason why I had Dave on the show is because one of my clients is married to someone with Asperger's and she told me about this book that helped save and change her marriage. And it was the Journal of Best Practices. And so I told her, huh, maybe I'll have him on the show because chances are I have other people that listen to the episode that have been affected by Asperger's syndrome in some way. Either they have it or a parent has had it or, or their husband or a wife has it. It's around, guys, and it's. It, I've just felt called to have this episode, and it turns out this is one of the best episodes I've had around relationships, and my mindset has totally sh- changed around Asperger's. I see it very differently now, thanks to Dave's amazing and eloquent way of describing this paradigm shift that needs to happen in the world when we think about autism and Asperger's. So I hope you stick around for this episode. I think you're really going to love it. The relationship stuff we cover is phenomenal and so insightful. I walked away from this conversation feeling so freaking good and on fire. And I know that there's going to be a lot more to come with with Dave and the wonderful work he is doing in the world. And now that he's moving to Denver, I will certainly be including him more in the stuff that I mention and talk about on the show, I'm sure. But before we head on over there, here's the the review of the week. This comes from Lauren Goods, and they say, she says, The Secret's Out with five stars. When I first discovered this podcast, the thing that delighted and ministered to me so much was that all the secret thoughts and feelings I have had about my body and food and eating, Maddie was openly and passionately talking about and sharing the stories of other women who have gone through similar body image issues and disordered eating, of which I could not believe how closely I related to. Immediately, I felt one million times less alone. Every episode on the podcast continues to heal and inspire me, but today I was especially compelled to write this review after hearing the discussion on how friends can come into your life for only a moment 
moment and still be quite significant. I have always felt this way and I've had so many amazing life-changing conversations with strangers that didn't even want to talk to at first, but by the end of our time together, I was so glad I did. I wrote a poem on this topic one day and I wanted to share it with you, Maddie. Thanks again for being so honest and talking about something that is so prevalent yet private and by doing so, taking the power back from fear and shame around our bodies and food and returning it to our heart's song. Here's the poem. Friends for a song, friends for a time, a rhyme, a moment, a flutter by, a piece of pie, a few moments while we stand in line. Friends that only stay as long as it may take a cup of tea to steep or a light to flicker on or a street artist to play on the corner while we wait for a signal bright to change our life could change someone else's with a smile or a billfold or a song. Beautiful, Lauren Goods. Thank you so much for that lovely poem and for sharing it in the review. I'm so freaking stoked that you wrote that poem and even went out and shared it. And now it's been shared with thousands of other people. So I hope that touched others of you who also relate to the idea of making a friend, even if you don't really know them that well or even get their name, you can still share the significant moment in each other's lives together. That is a very powerful experience. Another reminder for you guys that the confidence revival tree we only have another week to sign up so if you've been feeling pulled and called and tugged and your heart's like yes this is for me but i've all these millions of reasons i'm saying why i shouldn't deserve to go on a retreat please listen to your true calling the true you the one that says yes i need i want a confidence revival a spiritual revival where i will be taking care of myself and indulging in self-care practices like amazing food and movement and dance workshopping and rest and just reviving. This isn't really about retreating and getting away. It's more about coming to, coming home. So if you want more information about that, you can go to maddiemoon.com slash confidence dash revival. There will also be a link for that on the show notes for this. It will be held in Massachusetts at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. It is a glorious, beautiful center, and we're going to be going at such an amazing time when it's spring and beautiful, and we'll be doing hiking and all of that delicious stuff. I am so excited for you to be there with me. It's going to be great. Last but not least, a lovely warm shout out to today's new sponsor for the podcast. And this is Plum Deluxe Tea. Do you love trying new teas? Treat yourself to a Plum Deluxe Tea of the Month subscription. For only $10 a month, you receive a hand-blended, all-organic, loose-leaf tea thoughtfully chosen for the season. Tea Club members, how cute is that? Also enjoy special benefits like gift swap, free shipping on all purchases, and access to a very loving tea community. Also, keep in mind, a tea subscription makes a fantastic gift and a Mother's Day gift. So if you want to get more insight on this, you can visit plumdeluxe.com slash tea and join today. I will also have a link to that on the show notes for this episode so you can sign up right there. If you want to join the club now, if you join before or by May 1st, you'll also get a free bag of self-care tea in your first packet by putting in the words Maddie Moon Insider in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up. I am stoked about Plum Deluxe Tea. I'm actually having a specialty made, a specialty tea made just for the Confidence Revival Retreat called the Confidence Blend, and it's the perfect combination of the fierce feminine but the soft goddess it's gonna be spicy but sweet and I'm so excited for that because I am a huge tea person I love tea I also love my mushroom mixes and my coffee and all the good drinks in the world but 
I'm delighted to have Plum Deluxe be the sponsor for the show. And I really hope you guys at least go over to that link in the show notes and check it out so you can see what kind of teas you can get. And if you're a big tea drinker, why not sign up for an awesome monthly subscription? Like that sounds like the perfect present for yourself. All right, I'm ready to get this episode started. So let's go head on over to episode 149. You are now entering the Mind Body Musings podcast. If you find yourself hungry for growth, eager for inspiration, and longing for self-improvement, welcome home. Hosted by motivational speaker and life coach, Maddie Moon, you can be certain you will learn how to change your life in magical ways in each and every episode. Are you ready to stop caring what other people think? Is it time you break limiting beliefs and empower your whole being? Do you know how to use the one life you've been given to the absolute fullest? Join Maddie Moon and her inspirational guests every Wednesday for the life altering discussions on freedom, vulnerability, abundance, and so much more. For more insight, grab your free gift on MaddieMoon.com and uncover your own once-in-a-lifetime greatness within. If you have kind words to say, feel free to leave a review on the show in iTunes or send your favorite episode to a friend. We look forward to hearing your insights and growing together in unexpected ways. And now, without further ado, here's your host, Maddie Moon. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mind Body Musings podcast. I'm here today with our exceptional guest, David Finch, who is an author and a pretty big person in one of my clients' lives who is absolutely obsessed with him. So that's one of the perks of being my clients. I have your celebrity crushes on the podcast. So welcome to the show, David. How are you? I am so great. Thank you. And I want to say a special hello to the uh, fantastic, you know, your client has um, horrible taste in celebrity crushes. There's so many people that she could choose from. And <laughs> I think she has some work to keep unpacking there um, to get to the bottom of that. But uh, I, I accept her crush. I, I enjoy it. So lots of the questions that I will be asking you today come directly from her. So I was like, hey, you love this guy so much, and um, you probably have the best insight from anyone because her husband has Asperger's, and so she has had a lot. Oh, and also similar, she found out, they found out together after they were married. Okay. Um, so she has a special relation to you, and she, she told me to say specifically Madeline, even if it's off the air, please let him know that his book and Brene Brown were the two resources that gave us hope in our darkest moments. Reading his book gave me such a clear picture of how much he loves Kristen, and it became so apparent to me that Doug loved me in the same way. And we have, we have since met Brene, and we hope to meet David someday. Winky face. Well, <laughs> winky face. That, that's, that's really, see, that kind of uh, comment is just so powerful because I, I didn't mean to help people. Like, I, I didn't, I, I don't see myself as a Brene Brown by any stretch. And, um, and it's just, it's just amazing that somebody can, you know, read what I put out there and um, resonate so strongly with it um, that it, it enables them to see, you know, their own situation with new eyes. That's, that's really powerful. It is powerful. It's so beautiful. And, and everyone, I think, 
there are people in everyone's lives that come in and for, for a very specific reason. And in her life, and I'm sure in many other people's lives, you've served as a very powerful resource to have, like Corey said, hope and have hope that things can work out and, and you can still have this loving marriage, loving relationship. Even if you quite don't understand each other, it's still there and there is still this immense amount of love. And so you provided that beautiful example for her. So I'm grateful for that, you know, and I don't even really know all all that much, but I'm grateful for that and the work that you're doing in the world. So thank you. Well, my gosh, thank you so much. Again, I really, it's funny. I would say I appreciate that, but that's not even really uh, a a big enough word. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a blessing to be able to do what I'm doing and to be able to uh, connect with people in this way. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons I love speaking so much is I go around and I do get to meet, you know, uh, people like your client, um, who come up and, and I thought I was writing a pretty unique story about my marriage, but as it turns out, um, you know, all relationships, all marriages, um, we're all struggling, uh, with something. And, uh, and a lot of times it, 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 there's a lot of commonality in in the in the challenges facing these relationships, um, and the more that I talk to people, the more I see that that's true. When you do these tours, have you noticed that people in relationships that they're with a partner that does not have Asperger's or they don't have any kind of diagnosis, do they have the same issues a lot of the times that you talk about in your book? In your yeah, and that's that's an important distinction to make because uh, the book definitely has the Asperger angle because uh, it was a memoir written by a guy with Asperger's, so it's kind of uh, unavoidable. But um, uh, when people are reading it who are not in what I would call a neurologically mixed marriage, um, where you would have you know both partners are um, you know lacking any kind of formal uh, diagnosis of one thing or another. Um, you know, they are dealing with the same things. A lot of us, um, and I'm, I'm painting a real broad brush here and I, and, and I want to be very respectful of, of the intelligence of your audience. Um, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm generalizing, but, um, I've noticed a lot of parents, a lot of dads, husbands are coming from family situations where, you know, mom took care of a lot of things and, uh, dad provided. Um, but mom took care of a lot of things, um, that were extremely important in the development of, of, you know, the family and keeping the family together and that sort of thing. And, um, um, I'm noticing that pattern plays out time after time where even if, um, you know, when that child then grows up, gets married, um, to a young woman and, uh, if she's professional, it's still on her to kind of run the house. And, and I think that's, that's just one example, but that's, that's something that I'm hearing constantly is, um, you know, I'm women and wives saying I've really put the family so much uh, ahead of my own priorities, put my husband, uh, so much ahead of my own priorities that I'm left with not really remembering who I am or, or, you know, um, what any of this means anymore. Um, and, uh, and it's not that the husbands are clueless about that. Um, it's that, uh, you know, we just sometimes need to be, um, told that, Hey, there's, uh, there's the paradigm that you grew up with and, and there's what's going to work for us and our family and which one, you know, is, it means more to you. And I think those are hard conversations for couples to have, but I think couples that are willing and able to have those conversations, uh, uh, it typically can get through those inevitable struggles um, uh, a little bit closer and a little bit stronger as a, as a couple as a result. Oh, yes. And I've certainly 
notice this as well, especially when the kids grow up, the kids move out, and then the wife is left having to go through this period of re-self-discovery of like, what do I like now? Like, who am I if there's nothing to be fixed or I don't have a a person here to comfort and nourish? Like, what am I going to do with my time now? So, of course, one of the obvious ways to make sure this doesn't happen in your life is to continue to grow as your own individual in this marriage, in this relationship, even with kids. You still make time for yourself. You still put your needs Mm. very up there on the priority list. What would you add to that? What else would you say is important for people to do so that when the kids do move out, like you're still working on yourself and you're still growing, you're not having an identity crisis, but also so that even whenever everyone's young and the kids are young and you're fixing things in a relationship, you don't get overwhelmed. Oh yeah. And, and, uh, and I can speak to women and, and both partners. I think, I think the, the challenge here, and it's really incumbent upon, on you because nobody will do this for you. Once you become an adult, you, your happiness, all the permission has to come from you. And I think the first thing that, um, um, especially women in, in tricky relationships, uh, but men and women both need to give themselves permission to focus on themselves, to be a little bit selfish with their, um, with their intentions, with their times. And I'm saying a little bit selfish because you can't just, uh, you can't just say, all right, you know, mom is going to the Arctic for three months. <laughs> there's, there's a lasagna in the fridge. Good luck. Um, I mean, you can. There's no reason you can't do that. But uh, um, I guess if you haven't planned for that sort of endeavor as a family, things can get a little tricky. But you're, you're right on the money. Um, so many people wait until kids are out of the house. And then they look around and they say, wait a minute. I've been on pause for 22 years. Now what? My husband is is flying high in his career because that's all he's focused on for the last 30 years. Um, I'm kind of here. Um, and if they don't have the luxury of finding a Maddie Moon or, or any, you know, brilliant coach to kind of guide them back to who they are, they really feel stuck. I would say just start now and um, give yourself that permission. And it doesn't have to be something huge. So, for example... I'm, I'm fortunate to have married a life coach as well. <laughs> and so, uh, I resisted her, her coaching forever. Um, you know, she kept saying, you got to start taking care of yourself. You got to start prioritizing your happiness. And I was like, that's all a myth. Don't, you know, don't bother me with that. Um, and I was so uh, low, <laughs> I would say, uh, depressed, whatever you want to call it a couple of years ago. Um, and she really insisted that I just, I just start trying to live my life for myself. She said, don't worry about making me happy as a wife. Don't worry about being the perfect dad. Um, find something and do it and get out of the house and, and don't worry about when you come home and just do that. And she, she insisted I do that on a regular, you know, weekly basis. Um, my thing happened to be mountain biking. I, I fell in love with mountain biking and, um, all of a sudden that's all I was doing. And it was Kristen who was helping me give myself permission because she never once said, wait, how long are you going to be gone? How long are you going to be out there on your bike? Um, I need you to come home and mow the yard, whatever it was. She always said, go have a blast. And she didn't call. She didn't text while I was out there, which actually for the first couple of months made me feel bad. <laughs> I was like, you know, does she miss me? Um, and it turns out she didn't because she <laughs> for a lot of reasons. But one of those reasons being, uh, she knew I was going to be coming home in a great mood. Um, and, and just starting there gave me a foothold into this, this whole, uh, life around, um, you know, 
focusing more on myself and her wisdom. She just kept showering me with, with, um, encouragement and saying like, I think you should go to Denver. And if you're going out there for a speaking engagement for one night, I think you should stay for three or four nights. There's a lot of mountain biking, have fun. She really encouraged me. And, um, I've always been pretty fun adverse. Like I just want to live by strict rules <laughs> and I want someone to be jealous that I'm gone and that sort of thing. But, um, uh, you know, Kristen has really turned that around. Um, and, and again, it's that it's giving yourself permission, giving your partner permission to, um, really start if they need to reinvent themselves, if they need to reconnect with who they are, giving your partner the opportunity in the marriage to do that. And that's, that can be tricky for a lot of partners. That's incredibly profound. Just the thought of that is someone like a partner saying, go out, you do you, you have fun. And then that person letting this other person do exactly what they like their heart is yearning for, even if they don't quite know it. Cause she knew that you needed just adventure. You needed that, that period of self discovery. So that's incredibly insightful from her and inspiring. And I'm assuming Maybe that's something that, in a in a sense, you take turns on because then she had to take a little bit more of a load or a little bit more of the responsibilities as she encouraged you fully to step into your own essence and your own power. And she had to be selfless in a particular way for this to happen. Yeah? She did. And you really risk – I mean, you know, people are afraid of vulnerability. You talk about Brene Brown. and so, I mean, People are terrified to put themselves out there and to go to your partner – and say, go live your life. Be happy without me contributing to your happiness. Essentially, is is it takes such a strong person to be able to show up for their partner in that way and say, I want you to experience happiness that doesn't have anything to do with me. Because, you know, Maddie, I think a lot of us get into relationships, and maybe I'm projecting. I know this is true for me. I got into this relationship because I, I didn't want freedom. I didn't want somebody saying like, Oh, I won't notice if you're gone. You know, um, I, I wanted somebody saying, Oh my God, when is he going to be home? And, you know, penning me love letters while I'm on the road, <laughs> you know, yeah. that sort of thing. She's like, no, I've got Gilmore girls and wine. I don't need you to be home all that much, honestly. Um, but you're right. It is, it is pretty profound to be that selfless and, Here's where Asperger's can sort of weave its way back in in, in a in a not so great way, um, and and I say that with a big asterisk on the word Asperger's because um, you know as, as you and I are talking, I, I want to make it really clear to your listeners that um, it's actually not Asperger's that is the problem in any Asperger neurotypical relationship, um, and and we'll we can. Get into that more, but I, I do want to say about Kristen and me specifically, you know, she was so selfless. Go, go live your life, have fun, have a blast. And, um, I did that and I got really good. This was all last year. I started doing this. 2016 was a big year for me because I, I left a job that I really didn't enjoy. Um, and I started doing things that just suited me and loved it. And, and I still am doing all this. In fact, a lot of it's growing on itself now, but, um, Throughout 2016, you know, I did a lot of traveling to Colorado, mountain biking, speaking everywhere and loved it. And I had to remember that I need to make good on on reciprocating. Right. So I have to be able to let Kristen go and do the things she wants to do. Um, and, uh, you know, that's something that I don't often remember to do. I need to be asked 
or, or reminded, hey, you know, I want to go visit this person uh, for, a, for a few days this weekend. Um, like, I won't think to tell Kristen, hey, what is it that you're not doing lately that you'd love to be doing? Go do it. Go find it and do it. Um, and that's the reason I bring Asperger's back into it in this context is um, one of the things that people with autism on, on the spectrum, what we struggle with is taking the perspectives of other people without being prompted to do so. Um, it doesn't mean that we can't empathize. We can't, um, you know, perspective switch like that. But um, it, it often means that for a lot of us, you know, we need to be sort of prompted. Um, uh, hey, what do you think the other person was feeling when you said this, that or the other thing? And so um, like with me and Kristen, I, I want to do the right things and I want to do them the right way. I want to show up for her the way that I need to show up for her as a partner. But a lot of times I need uh, some prompting to do that. Now, Kristen understands this and she she's comfortable prompting me when she wants to. But I know for a fact that our relationship would be a little more organically satisfying to her if I were able to simply come home from one of my many trips to Colorado and say, hey, why don't I take the kids this weekend and we'll go do something fun. And and you just you I don't know where you'll go. <laughs> you just do whatever you need to do for a few days and come back. I don't think to say that. Um, so. That, that gets a little tricky that way. Like, I feel like I'm not reciprocating enough. Um, but what can I say? I mean, we're still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think that's, that's for any relationship. It is, there's always a new discovery to be made of another place that y'all can work on together. And I think even though you say you don't, you, you don't do that, you don't instigate that yourself. Like you're so aware of it. And that's so great that you're aware of that, that is taking place. And wow, like you have such a, a wonderful partner who's able to handle that and say, I need my own space now. And so I'm assuming she's absolutely fine with being the one to instigate that and say, Hey, it's, it's my turn. <laughs> it's my turn. She, she really is. And I, and I give her credit for it. And here's why, um, here, you're, this is the Maddie moon, like tell all exclusive, uh, <laughs> it's turning into free therapy for me. I swear I'll pay you for this coaching. I swear. <laughs> Um, just send me a bill, but, um, I, uh, so Kristen here, here's, here's something that I think if you've got people who are listening, uh, that are in relationships where they feel like they're not even heard, um, never mind, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, I don't feel appreciated. I don't feel valued, but some people just plainly don't even feel heard or acknowledged in their own, uh, relationship. And that's that's devastating to a lot of people. And and with Kristen, she was one of those people that hadn't been heard. Now, we've been married. It'll be 14 years. We're married this year. Um, and uh, I would say until six months ago, um, she was I wasn't showing up for her really hardly at all, even despite what I wrote in the book and everything. It's all you know, I did all that. But it was all on the surface. It was I was trying to be a better husband, um, not for the virtue of being a better husband, but I was trying to be a better husband so that she would like being around me more. So it was totally selfishly motivated, which is <laughs> awful. <laughs> we, we can talk about that, too. But um, uh, my point being, for years, if she would even suggest that she wanted to go visit like her best friend who lives in Decatur, Illinois, and that's like whatever, four hours from us or something. Um, you know, especially once the kids came along, Hey, I want to go visit my friend in Decatur. It's like, no, you know, I just, I wouldn't say no, 
because it wasn't like a permission being granted sort of thing. It was more of a, um, oh, you're going to go to Decatur. And then I would start throwing out so many reasons why it's going to be very hard for me around the house, blah, blah, blah. And I would basically manipulate the conversation so that she would feel like it was just easier not to do the things she wanted to do. Um, it was a horribly selfish thing that I did. And I totally get that now, you know, I've had enough therapy to understand that, uh, damn, that was really manipulative. <laughs> you know, It's horrible to do to somebody. Um, almost sinister, Although I thought I was just protecting myself and, and my own interests, I didn't realize that by doing that, you're essentially putting your partner in a cage. And so now um, uh, those shackles are off, to use you know Martha Beck speak. Um, the the shackles are completely off there. And um, you know if Kristen decided, hey, I need to go to <laughs> Vienna for <laughs> two weeks. Uh, okay, I don't know why Vienna, but go for it. You know, um, it's it wouldn't be that that martyrdom it wouldn't be okay well i guess we'll just be here fending for ourselves while moms um i've grown up a lot and and um so but now the reason i mention all this is because i think this happens in a lot of relationships Kristen, now i can i can feel her her hesitation her like trepidation about um you know when when she for example when she uh, she it was very important to her to participate in the women's march on DC, um, back in, in January. Um, and, uh, I wanted to be very supportive of that. And, and I was like, go, you should go, you know, you need to do this. But I remember when she came and approached me about like, Hey, what would you think if I took a few days, you know, would you guys be fine? You know, whatever. Um, I could hear it in her voice, that little, that, that shadow of doubt. Like, I don't even want to ask this cause I don't want him to start in about how, you know, you know, giving me the guilt trip about leaving or anything like that. So she's still very much, I don't know if you would, you know, I don't want to overstate this, but you know, if you would call that like a, it's almost like a PTSD, but like a, a, a shitty relationship PTSD, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, where she just feels like, God, I, I can't really voice the things that I want because he's going to lose his shit. Can I, by the way, can I use? Yeah, you can say for, that. Say that all you want. Okay, great. Okay. Um, I don't want to offend your, your listeners, but um, I'm, I'm vulgar, <laughs> especially when I talk about myself. I can't keep it clean. <laughs> I'm such an asshole. But um, <laughs> she's really recovering from being in a shitty relationship. And, and, it's, and she still isn't fully trusting, I don't think, that, that I'm, I'm championing her now rather than um, doing everything I can to, um, you know, keep, keep consistency of home life here. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've experienced something like that as well. And I think in relationships, this is where the evolution takes place because it's each party's responsibility, I think, to be able to recognize Say let's let's use this cage example. Like be able to recognize there is a cage being formed, and then on one person's responsibility it is to make sure they're not forming this cage, but it's the other person's to forgive the fact that the cage started to form, and then, mm-hmm. and then support the other person in taking down the cage and encouraging them. Because I've been in relationships where. I felt like I was getting put in a cage and I couldn't get past it when the person stopped. So I wasn't taking responsibility necessarily for forgiving this person for getting mad if I wanted to travel or 
um, mm-hmm. getting upset about it. And so even if this person would stop doing those things and grow and change, I had not fully taken on my responsibility to forgive and forget and, and evolve with this person. So it was almost like a grudge in a way, like what you were saying, like kind of like PTSD. But I think there's a point where it can become more of a choice because once you bring awareness to the fact you're doing that, then you have that choice available and you, you, you can retake that power. You have the power back to let go and, and grow together. And I'm not saying like, obviously it sounds like she's done a fabulous job at this. Um, but for people listening, if there's anything that has caused an issue in your relationship in the past and the other partner is working on it, you also have to do your part, even if it's something you feel was done to you. Wow, that's really brilliant. And and Maddie, I think um, I know exactly what you're talking about when you said you couldn't really get past it. You know, Kristen and I had the we had the benefit of, you know, before we were married, before we were dating, we had been friends since since we were kids. We, we knew each other so well. Um, we had this very electric friendship and it was wonderful. So we had that in the bank. And so when all the, the challenges of her being married to the world's most jealous, possessive, you know, infantile man, which is really what I was. I mean, it's fine. You know, um, I, uh, I think with all that good stuff in the bank, you know, Kristen being able to forgive was really her choice. And, and, and at any point she could still walk. I, I think once you're soured, once put, once somebody puts such a sour taste in your mouth about who they are, like I did to Kristen, that choice is one that you sometimes have to re up maybe daily. And now if you're, if you think that you have enough good stuff in the bank with this person, that, that, that truly is your person, then that forgiveness kind of comes out of you. And it, and it's, it's much for you as it is for them, you know, letting yourself off the hook of all the resentment and whatever that, that stuff is that's just going to anchor you down when you forgive, you just you pop those shackles off and now you're free. Um, easier said than done because, uh, man, putting, letting yourself be put into a cage, especially with somebody who is a manipulative partner, which I definitely was. Um, it's a slow boil, right? You don't, you don't realize that the temperature of the water is increasing until, you know, somebody points out, Hey, the water's boiling. And you say it is, <laughs> I just got used to how warm it is. Um, you end up in this cage. And, uh, and I think a lot of people realize you, it's sort of like getting the flu almost like you don't, you don't know you've got it until it's way too late. And then you're just in it. Like <laughs> You just got to ride it out. And, you know, Maddie, what you were just saying about, you know, you, you've been in that relationship now. Um, I don't know how that worked out for you, but um, if it was hard for you to, see past it to forgive. Um, there are a lot of people out there who will definitely appreciate Maddie Moon for exactly who she is, celebrate that person, let that person grow and evolve and be free and be Maddie and, and, and appreciated in that way. Um, and I think people forget that um, there are lots of, lots of people out there who would be their biggest fans. Uh, we don't need to keep ourselves tethered to the one who is, you know, familiar. Right, exactly. And ultimately, like this was my relationship. Um, it was a year ago now. Uh, we were together a year ago and I ended up sayonara because I went traveling or like around the world. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I just, I wanted to do a little trip and 
just like a, a tiny trip. Well, I mean, to me, it was tiny. It was like two weeks. But no kids, no nothing, just like dating. I mean, we were just together as boyfriend, girlfriend. And uh, that did not sit well with him. And, and But I, I will say, going back to the, the moral of this here, I was being caged and not taking any responsibility for it. It was, mm. this is happening to me, to me, to me, to me. And then yes. after I had the time for reflection and like, what do I want now? What do I want a partner? What's good for me? What's not good for me? I had to look at what I was doing and, and hold my own and, and uh, take that responsibility up. And it, no matter who I'm with, I always have a choice. Even if this person tries to, to, in a sense, cage me, the question is, do I let them? Now, it's not always as easy as that. It's not like you can be with someone that tries to do those things and you do your own thing because that's not so much of a partnership. But you do take your responsibility in the experience as you work together to work through it. It's working together, both parts, both efforts. So that's beautiful. It's a wonderful example you gave. And though mine is very different, I think it's still relatable for a lot of people. It's you each have your own responsibility and whatever you're working on, working towards. And that's what a partnership is. It really is. And boy, the, the per sense of personal responsibility, isn't it funny how, um, we, we don't come to the table with that first, you know, we, um, we, we come to the table, like, what, what do I need to do in this relationship? What do I need to be for you in order for you to lighten up or whatever? But we don't think, is this really right for me still? Um, I don't know why so many of us don't lead with that instinct. I sure don't. Kristen, my wife, Kristen had to teach me, um, you know, uh, check in with yourself and, and take some responsibility for your mood, your happiness. Don't let it all, um, hinge on whether or not you're getting exactly what you need from me at any given moment. And, um, man, once you, once you empower yourself, uh, in that way, it is, it's, it's life changing. Yes, exactly. It is life changing. It's relationship changing. <laughs> it sure is. And, and, and it's, it's changing. It's an immediate change because as soon as you let go of that shit, as soon as you let go of the, the, you know, expectations of what your partner needs to do. And by the way, I'm just, I'm just parroting what, uh, you should really be interviewing Kristen because this is all, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm finally understanding her wisdom and it's like this big epiphany. So I'm spewing it into the, into the call right now. But, um, the, the way that it changes your relationship is, is instantaneous because, um, as soon as you free up, um, or as soon as you take back responsibility for your own happiness, it, Oh, hang on a second. My phone, which I had shut off, turned itself back on. And now Siri is yelling at me. <laughs> it's like trying to repeat back everything I'm explaining to you. That's like really weird. It's, 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 it's a little freaky and, uh, might be going to Samsung next. But, um, anyway, we, uh, it lets you off the hook immediately and your partner, because as soon as you take the power back for your own happiness, your own moods, um, your own sense of, you know, joy, fulfillment, it frees up your partner. It, 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 um, you stop looking to your partner to satisfy and fulfill all these needs for you. You realize, Oh, I can do this on my own. And then it allows you to just look at your partner for what you initially saw them as is who is this, this great person who lights me up. It's you'd stop looking at that person as, Oh, here's all the way he let, you know, here's every way that he let me down this week. Um, 
I can let people down all day long. And if I'm only measured on that, um, it's going to look pretty bad. But fortunately, I've got a partner who measures me now on um, what are the ways that I light her up. And she's and she's very selfless in being able to forgive the ways that I could potentially have let her down. Oh, that's so beautiful. It's like going back to when you just met this person and you're just so excited about all the different things that they are and all the interests they have and how they make you feel. And then after mm. time you get these expectations, you get used to a certain thing and so, or a certain person. So you could have met them as a, like my example earlier, a non-traveler and you like that person a lot. But then once they start traveling, no, you don't like that. Like that's right. not what you were used to. But let's say you <laughs> met this person as a traveler. I'm sure you would have found that just as cool and beautiful as if they weren't. But it wasn't. It's all new. So you're just absorbing it all. But then when you get to know this person, you think that they are this finite person, finite personality with the same tendencies and habits and interests forever. It'll freak you out a little bit if there's some change that goes on. <laughs> you won't like it. Totally. And a lot of the times – so. um one of the things that Kristen was most attracted uh, to me, uh, one of the things that most attracted Kristen to me was was uh, my quirks, you know, my my personality. And um, wouldn't you know, that's the one thing that ended up trying our relationship very, uh, very harshly is uh, ultimately my my many quirks. Um, in fact, I think there's a line in my my book or something. It's it's um, I said quirks are like sneezes or energetic puppies. You know, one or two aren't so bad, but try dealing with ten thousand of them. Um, so, and that's that's the other thing. The shine comes off the apple as soon as as soon as we re, redefine our relationship with those things that we thought we loved about our partner. Um, man, that that's a slippery slope downward. Um, but the good news is the way our brains work is um, we're pretty good at assigning values to things at will. And um, there is a way to reassign the value to, oh, yeah, that's that stuff I love about this person. And um, the, good thing about, <laughs> the good thing about being with the same person every day is they're going to keep showing you every day those things that you, you really like about them if you're looking for it. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I know like we're 30 minutes in. This is really late to do this, but can you <laughs> – I'll probably do the intro, but in case I forget, can you tell people who might not know what Asperger's is? <laughs> You're so funny. Um, yes, I can. Uh, <clears throat> Asperger's, um, after the world's longest rollout, is um, <laughs> it's basically uh, it's regarded as a mild uh, form of autism. So if you look at uh, uh, autism as a developmental condition that occurs in human beings. Um, you know, it's, it's a condition where the brain develops in a certain way that is, is somewhat, um, predictable. You know, if you fit the autism or Asperger's profile, um, it generally means it's because you, um, favor, um, systemization maybe over socialization. It means that you are, um, uh, very perhaps locked into certain routines and, and certain ways of doing things. Now we all have our ways of doing things, right? But once it becomes something that's bordering in some, in some capacities on like a pathology, uh, like if it's, if it's limiting your life, the extent to which you require your routines, you're so inflexible. Um, then, then it becomes something we look at as, as possibly, um, you know, an autism spectrum condition. But what I want to say about this, um, so I'm glad you brought it up. 
is here, especially in the Western world, we tend to look at everything that goes on with a person as whether or not it's a pathology. You know, we look at it through the lens of, is this a problem? Is it an abnormality? If it's an abnormality, let's fix it. And that's especially true in the U.S., where we have diagnostic codes for everything. Um, you can't just be a nerd anymore. You're, according to the DSM-5, you are, um, you know, pervasive development disorder, NOS. <laughs> it's a lot of different diagnostic codes. But at the end of the day, um, autism and Asperger's uh, being generally regarded, the, 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 the prevailing narrative on Asperger's uh, and, and autism has been um, one of this pathology where they're looking at it and saying, oh, there's a problem. We noticed there was a problem with my son when he was five. And so we went to the doctors and here's, here's how we're treating his autism. Um, it's kind of like saying you know, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have my husband uh, diagnosed and treated for being uh, Chinese. Like he has a very Chinese way of doing things that from that culture, from growing up in it, when we got to fix it, it's just real problematic. Um, that's it's, it's, it's that it's, there's a, a segment of the population that prefers, um, you know, systems over socialization. So well, explain why that's a problem. Like, I don't understand. Now, obviously, when you look at um, people who are so severely impacted by autism that they are, you know, um, their brain is taking over in a way and they're, they're doing these kind of self-injurious behaviors or they cannot care for themselves because they can't, you know, uh, they, they, cognitively, they don't have the ability to dress themselves, feed themselves, cook food. Um, you know, these are people who are, were in danger of just, even as adults, leaving whatever house they're living in and just, and just roaming around and, and like basically running away unintentionally. Um, it's, there's a lot of safety issues. So there's, there's that. And, and those are things that would definitely, um, you know, those aren't just things that we look at philosophically and say, oh, is that really a problem? Like, yes, that's <laughs> those are serious problems. But for the rest of us, you know, there are a lot of people on the autism spectrum um, with above or above average, you know, uh, IQ, um, very sharp, very bright. Um, socialization isn't our thing. Um, and, and we have, you know, uh, repetitive interests, um, very, very single minded interests on certain things. But if we look at that, like it's a problem, like, oh no, my, my son, Connor, you know, he, he only likes to focus on, uh, building Lego trains. Okay. Well, you look at that and you say, well, that's a problem because we want him to play baseball. Well, maybe Connor isn't going to be playing baseball, but that skill set, his hyper focus on putting things together, spatial relationships, building things. When Connor grows up, the SpaceX's, the NASA's, the uh, Intel's, these are going to be the corporations who are just tripping over, over themselves to hire those Connors. You know, the Googles of the world were not founded by the kids who were uh, in, you know, playing pickup ball and just hanging out and, and smoking weed together and doing cool stuff. I mean, some of them were, but, um, you know, it's, uh, I guess uh, the short version here, since we are <laughs> 30 plus minutes in is that autism and Asperger's is a developmental construct. It's, it's a certain way that the brain develops, but um, it's not something that has to be regarded as a pathology, something that is a sickness or a disease, something that needs to be treated and fixed. I think what needs to be happening 
is I feel like it's almost like a social rights, you know, uh, revolution. I think what needs to be happening is the world needs to be um, willing to be a little more understanding of people who are on the autism spectrum. And at the same time, people on the spectrum can be a little more willing to learn to play by the, the rules of the neurotypical world, right? Because we have to coexist. Um, but uh, I think a lot of times when people say, what is autism? Everybody defines it the same way. Well, it's this developmental disability, blah, 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 blah. Well, it's only a developmental disability if we say it is. It's um, it's certainly a developmental, um, a unique developmental scenario. Um, but I don't think it's one that disables people um, across the board as as much as our narrative would would suggest. I am so glad you described that you described this the exact way you described it. Like it's that was so perfect because I have never really like I said to you before we hopped on, like I'm not affected. Like I've never been around Asperger's. I don't know what really what it is. Like I'm so <laughs> But like that is exactly how I was told it's like this, this developmental disorder, but you're making so much sense because there, there's so many gifts. It sounds like when you're born with this, because you do have the ability, you prefer systems. So there's so many, I, I believe that it sounds like there's so many technological advances that can be made with someone who thinks like this. But if you hinder them before they even get started with life by looking down on this or feel like talk, you know, segmenting them in class or trying to fix them, there is a gift that could be shared, created, built as they get older, but will never have that opportunity if they don't believe in themselves and if they're not growing up with this support from family and understanding that they have these beautiful gifts to be shared. Oh, that's, you hit it right on the head, Maddie. And it was funny when you said that, oh, I don't really know anybody. I was like, yeah, you do. You just don't know what you do. And, um, and I think that, uh, you know, I mentioned before, so I'm, I'm one of the things that I, I get to do now is I've created this this uh, this front range center for neurodiversity in Denver. And, and this is all about um, changing the narrative around autism, which is um, shifting from pathology to celebrating what you just said, the many, many gifts. When when we look at the when we look at people um, and never mind just what they're able to contribute, say, professionally or artistically or whatever, but um, just even when we look at people as um, companions and friends, you know, when we look at there's that there's that autistic kid. He only wants to play the one game by the certain rules, the one way. And we're just going to let him be weird there in the corner. Well, OK, I, I understand. You know, we're social animals and we want to look at the, the weak ones and kind of say, you guys stay over there while the, the dominant part of the herd stays here. But um, the reality is, if, if our communities, if our educators, if our parents can learn to not only um, kind of fortify the, the person with Asperger's or autism with, you know, by giving them some, uh, some overt social instruction and overt coaching and emotional awareness and that sort of thing. We end up being amazing friends. Uh, we're very loyal. Like I said, we want to do the right things the right way. Our intentions generally are pure. Now, you're, you are going to have some people with autism who are just garden variety assholes. You can't avoid that. But for the most part, um, we don't mean to be making things difficult for people around us. It's just that because the culture clash between the neurotypical and the neurodiverse is so intense sometimes, it's easy to look at, and there's fewer of us, right? It's, there's fewer autistics. And so it's easy to look at the autistic person and say, 
you know, God, you're making this so hard. You're making this so difficult. Um, it's a lot less likely that the neurotypical is going to say, oh, my gosh, I've created an environment that is really driving you up the wall and I'm making this very difficult for you. How can we find some common ground here? Um, that never comes up in the heat of the argument. And the reason I think it's important what you just said is if you think about like employers, um, employers who have access to this amazing neurodiverse workforce, if they know how to manage them, um, what they're missing out on are key technology contributors, key thought leaders, um, key participants on a team. Like I said, it's you go to any college lab, you go to any makerspace, and these these aren't um, the kids who are winning class president based on popularity, these aren't the kids who, you know, um, these are the kids who are doing really well. Thank you very much behind a screen. And you know, what's cool as a life coach, I wonder, I wonder, I'm sorry, as a coach, I wonder if you would, um, resonate with this at all. But what's cool about people with Asperger's is that we know what we love to do and we gravitate to that. And that's really the, the most important thing that we're focusing on and everything else kind of like, almost is invisible except for that one thing we're interested in. And um, there's a purity there that if we could get more neurotypicals to just finally, like I said, take their shackles off and finally be okay enough with who they are, that they say, this is my thing in life. And that's what they focus on. Uh, allow themselves to be nerds. You know, I think so many people would find so much freedom in that. And I, and I think people with Asperger's are already there because they don't have a choice. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Yes. Like as a, as a coach, I definitely, that's like one of the main things you try to get people to finally understand so (laughs) many other voices and overthinking (laughs) and perfectionism and like, uh, just drama or, uh, distractions or feeling guilty and shameful and like all these distractions, all these things that are pulling people in all these different ways, pulling them away from what they truly love out of life because if they love it too much, they feel guilty because <laughs> they're taking their attention away from something else. Like, it is purity. That is purity. And there's something that we can all learn from that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the work you do is 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 amazing to be able to help people kind of filter out those voices, find the voices that matter. Um, imagine a client who showed up and was like, you know <laughs> – I, I, uh, I've got this really purity of intention and <laughs> you'd be like, well, you're fixed so we don't need to do anything. Exactly. I would be like, um, you don't need me. I need you. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So I need to ask you a couple of Corey's questions or I'm going to be in trouble, but okay. this kind of ties in with this. I'm in, I'm very interested to hear what you say. I'm just going to read this verbatim what she wrote, but she said, do you wish you had been diagnosed earlier as a child or do you think that being labeled as Someone with Asperger's when you were young would have put some limiting beliefs on your life. Examples. People with Asperger's don't have successful relationships. People with Asperger's can't be successful in the business world. People with Asperger's will only thrive when working alone. I often think my husband and I wouldn't have gotten together if he had known he had Asperger's when we met. So we covered some of that, but basically, are you glad that you found that out when you were an adult because basically it sounds like there's not someone like you that's been pioneering this change of thinking around Asperger's. Well, there's, um, well, thank you. There, there are, um, the neurodiversity movement is certainly growing and, but I will say I'm very, very, um, pleased (laughs) that, uh, the way things turned out learning at age 30, like I did, um, 
you know, I had already established myself in a career. I was, I was very successful as an engineer. Um, I had, you know, two kids, a wife that hated me. I, I was living the American dream. <laughs> and, um, so, uh, I was, you know, I knew enough about myself and I had some emotional maturity. So that way, when, when my wife brought this to my attention, Hey, you know, uh, let's, let's check out this Asperger's. Um, it, it made sense for me. Now, when I was a kid, I would have bought into the narrative that everybody was telling around, you know, oh, you're one of those special kids, you know, and everybody knows that special in quotes is the opposite of special. And um, so I'm personally glad. Uh, but then again, I didn't have the sorts of um, uh, challenges that would have would have um, been necessary for me to avail myself of certain therapies and interventions growing up. I mean, I, it would have made my life easier for sure, but it's not like it was, you know, impacting me in school. I had, I had friends. Um, I didn't know what to do with them, but I had, them. <laughs> I didn't want to have anything to do with people, but, uh, I had, I definitely had friends and, um, you know, it was, uh, I'm glad I learned. Now there are some kids, you know, who learned early on in life and they're awesome because their parents framed it right. It, it wasn't the sit down, you know, we, you've got Asperger's. That's why you're different. It's not that they framed it. Like you have these, these effing superpowers and, um, we're all good at some things. We're all bad at some things. And the things you're good at, very few people are good at. And so, uh, and, and, and that's the whole reason why I created this front range center is because it's, and, and I'm sorry, I sound like I'm doing an infomercial, but the whole reason I'm creating this whole center around this is because we're basically trying to change, not trying, we are, we're changing the narrative, um, away from here's why you're different and nobody wants to play with you to here's why you're awesome. Here's why so few people are wired like you. Here's why so people, few people think like you and, and make it more like a superpower narrative than a, uh, a thing. So if, if you've got, if you've got kids in your life, um, that would benefit from a diagnosis, you have to frame it the right way. And that's true of kids and adults, I suppose. Weird question, but I was, I did want to ask you, did you ever watch the show parenthood and see, the son that had Asperger's because I wanted to see if that was a good portrayal of it or no. I get asked that all the time and I should really do my professional homework <laughs> and like Netflix it. But I, I didn't watch it cause I, I only watch comedy. And, um, so I was told that it's not a really like knee slapping funny show. So I just haven't watched it. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. I mean, you got, see, you do what you love, you know what you love and you're not going to do anything else. It's great. <laughs> Um, but it is a fantastic show, and I was I was very curious to see if like how the mainstream media is portraying it, if it if you agree with it. Um, but if you yeah. haven't seen it, then maybe you can check it out later. Can't comment on that, Maddie. But what I will say is one of the best best ever autistic portrayals I've ever seen in my life um, is Rain Man. And I know you know people give that movie like, oh yeah, it's like so old, but nope, you can't do best, better than Dustin Hoffman. You can't do better than him. So that's that's autism. And if you want Asperger's that's not called Asperger's, um, you know, you, you look for Larry David, you look for Sheldon Cooper, you look for um, some of these, these uh, characters who are unapologetically themselves, but who don't have the awareness to understand why they're driving people crazy um, until it's brought to their attention. Did you ever see the documentary? Oh, no, you only watched comedy, but maybe you didn't. I don't know. The documentary <laughs> Autism is Us. I think it's Autism Are Us. Autism mm -hmm. is Us. 
No, that's the other thing. I'm really lazy about like absorbing knowledge. So documentaries, unless it's like a music documentary or a comedy documentary, I don't, I don't watch it. Well, what, what was it that was one about? Interesting. <laughs> it wasn't comedy, but it was a documentary about a group of autistic friends who were a comedy group. So going around. Oh yeah. Shows. And I thought it was really interesting because it's a documentary. So they're not like um, acting or anything. And that might be something because there is some comedy in there. And you can see because they're making fun of all the things that people might not understand or all the funny things about autism. So I thought it was interesting. I, I didn't watch all of it, but it might be something you tell you what. I promise you, I will watch it tonight. And if I'm, if I ever have the privilege of being a guest, um, I will be prepared to speak to it because I, this is one that a million people have said, like, you got to watch this thing. And, and there is a lot, there is a lot to find humor in, not just in autism and Asperger's, but in everything and in life. And I think when you get too precious about things, when you, when you start to say, like, you can't joke about that, you start to, lose your grip on it. You start, you, you can't contain it. You can't manage it. And if you can laugh at it, holy shit, you own it. And so I, I always encourage people to, to try to find the humor. I mean, it's, uh, listen, it's funny that it is, it's just <laughs> universally funny that when we're at some horrible, ridiculous graduation party for some cousin somewhere, it's like, you know, we said, we're going to leave it for, damn it. We're leaving it for, and I'm grabbing my coat and shoving Kristen out the door. I get it. That's funny to people. Um, and the reason it's funny is not because I'm shoving people out the door. It's because nobody wants to be at that kind of a horrible graduation party in the first place. And I'm just the only one being honest about his feelings. So, um, there you go. <laughs> this is pretty amazing. And it's pretty funny. Are there any other, like that was a beautiful, like, note, by the way, of just don't take things so seriously, like be able to laugh. But before mm. we go to the quick fire round, are there any other quirks or anything like that you did when you were younger that now looking back, you laugh at that you didn't really understand before what was going on. Oh yeah. You know, I didn't, um, I I've never known when I'm being flirted with and I've had people call it to my attention before where they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. She was like way into you and you just laughed at her. And I did because I thought she was laughing or I thought she was kidding. Um, and, uh, I used to push myself around kind of on the, on the, you know, you know, floor on my face. Cause it felt good. You know, it just, but that's again, a real honest thing. It, the sensation felt good and I was seeking a sensation and, um, we should all be so lucky as to allow ourselves that permission to, to seek out the things that feel good if they don't harm others and don't harm ourselves. Why not? Now, I guess a case could be made that I was harming myself socially, <laughs> But you know what? Not really, because the people who dug it, those became lifelong friends. That's so. really interesting that you just said that because you were, you gave me a memory that I haven't had in a long time. And I used to remember when I would get out of the shower, I would just wrap my towel like on top of me, and I would just mm -hmm. like curl up naked on the floor because it felt so good. It yes. So weird. But like I would take time when I'm getting out of the shower, when I'm like in second grade, first grade, kindergarten, and I would just like crawl underneath my towel like I was a little bug. And then I would just <laughs> lay there wet, dripping with my face on the floor. And I'd be there for 10, 15 minutes. Just and it felt great. I like, didn't worry about, is there dog hair on the floor? Is someone going to walk in? Oh my gosh, I have stuff to do. I can't waste my time. It felt mm. so good, and it was, like, cooling and relaxing, and Ugh. I just took time for it and didn't even care. No cares in the world, and now that's, like, hilarious to me because, like, ew, floors are gross. There's my dog's hair everywhere, but 
I probably the same thing back then. I didn't even think about it. That's very insightful. The promise of adulthood is being able to think yourself out of every possible opportunity for joy. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. It's so sad. I, I suggest after this, I think you should hop in the shower, give yourself a few minutes on the floor, take another shower if you need to afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be like my new reward. Like I got 10 minutes. Okay. No, actually no time limit. I got as much time as I want on the floor. <laughs> yes. New paradise. Yes. That's free meditation. You don't. That's yeah, my meditation to... right there. I was meditating yes. when I was little and then meditation became complicated and then I stopped doing it because it had all these rules. Well, that's just it. Like, uh, oh, no, no, no. I, I have to do it here with the gong and the whole thing. Nah, forget it. You know, when I was a kid, I was like the world's most spiritually elevated person. And then once I started thinking and getting in my head, I'm a mess. Oh, my gosh. It's so true. It's like if there's no sound bath, you just can't do it. You got to have a sound bath. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they've been doing it for thousands of years without a sound bath. It doesn't count. It doesn't count without it. And a mat. Right. You got to buy one of those like $300 mats and sit on that, too. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm pulling up the athletic site as we speak. I'm, I'm going to get only, <laughs> only the top notch fucking meditation. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay. That's right. We got some quick fire round questions, but before we head on over there, where can people connect with you online? People, oh, people can find me at davidjfinch.com. It's just the middle initial J. Um, and they can find me at frontrangecenter.org. Beautiful. Okay, I will make sure I have those links on the show notes to this episode 149. And now- Whoa. Oh. Maddie, when you said that, our Skype time was at one minute. I'm sorry, one hour and one minute 49 seconds. What? Not even kidding. That's crazy. Synchronicity. That's Bam. So meant to be. I will I, I will make sure it's 149 that episode. I won't change anything around. Sometimes I do that. I'm like, oh, it's going to be 150. No, that's amazing. Okay, <laughs> perfect. So time for some questions. Some more yeah. questions. All right, number one. This is interesting. What are three words that you would use to describe you? Unintentional nuisance. Um, conflicted. <laughs> <laughs> so authentic. I love it. If you could live anywhere in the world besides where you live, I think I might know what this would be. Uh, where would you be? I would be in the hills above Boulder, Colorado. Yes. Best place ever. Okay. And I would go to Ozo Coffee every afternoon. Oh, you're an Ozo-er? You like Ozo? uh, I, the zebra mocha every day. There's a zebra mocha? Yeah, it's, it's a white chocolate, which is like byproduct of chocolate, and chocolate in a mocha. And it will knock your socks off. Oh, I have never had that. I love Ozo. There's there's a new one in Longmont that I've been going to because it's so beautiful and big. It's fantastic. Oh. All right, I'm ne- I'm there and I'm, I'll be there next week. I'm picking you up and uh, yes. zebra bokas are on me. Yes, that sounds amazing. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> and I have to meet Kristen if she comes too because that'd be fantastic. She says, yeah. No, I'm just the price of admission. Once you meet Kristen, you realize like, oh, I just have to accept this idiot in my life to get to her. <laughs> it's fine. I'm 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 fine with it. <laughs> um, what did you eat for breakfast? Same thing I eat every day. Two eggs and an egg white scrambled with uh, shredded cheese and chopped up spinach. Uh, Three oranges squeezed into a glass for orange juice and sourdough toast. That sounds lovely. 
It's a great way to start the day. It's awesome. It sounds classic. That's what I would yep. have every day too. Um, okay. What is your, what is one of your biggest pet peeves? Oh my God. I just, uh, the world, <laughs> <laughs> um, people, people who reject science. Mm, that's a good one. What's your biggest quality turn on in Kristen? Uh, um, <laughs> okay. I've got two. Uh, the shallow part of me is that she's really hot. The, the depth part of me, um, really gravitates towards her grace capacity for grace. Mm, that's a good one. I love that. Grace is so, so beautiful. What's your favorite meal right now? Uh, it is from, uh, when, okay. So there's a restaurant in Boulder called kitchen. Um, and, uh, I go there and I have them cut me a filet mignon, um, because, uh, the chef, I've been there so many times and ordered that, that even when it's not on the menu, the chef will sometimes find, um, a filet that he can cut off just for me. <laughs> that is lovely. You know, my favorite meal of my life was at kitchen. What did you have? It was seasonal. It was a duck confit. Is that how you say mm. it? I think so. Yes. It was a yes. duck confit, and it was during uh, the fall, and it was in this big old pot that had, like, potatoes, <laughs> carrots, and, like, some bone broth, and it was just uh, oh, mashed potatoes, turnips. It was so hearty. It was so freaking phenomenal. So they just bring you this cauldron of, like, duck, <laughs> yeah. duck meat. That's amazing. I love it there. There's nothing they won't do for customers, I'm telling you. I, I had that on a first date, too. And like, oh. I was just so in the zone. Like, you know, when you have a food moment and you just forget <laughs> life around you and you don't want life around you to in intrude in this moment, I was having this and this guy was just like, are you okay? This was the yeah. best food of my life. It was so good. He could, he could have been anybody. He could have been uh, George Clooney and be like, yeah, yeah, not now eating, you know? Exactly. It could have been anyone. I don't even remember the poor guy's name, but he bought me the best <laughs> meal of my life. I'll remember that forever. <laughs> He's he's listening right now like son of a <laughs> That's $150 that night. Oh, it was a very crazy bill, but yes, it was very nice of him. Okay, <laughs> if, if if love tasted like a flavor, what would it be? Mm. Wow. Um I, I'm not going to win any points for this, but the only thing that's coming to mind cuz I'm not talking like hot, burning, passionate romance. I'm talking love, like the love that will actually change your life. Mm -hmm. It tastes, um, it tastes like a flawless pot roast. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I'm going to ask you to scrub that out of the interview. So when Kristen listens, I didn't just describe our, our love, uh, as in terms of meat. Oh my gosh, but it's amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> funny. Oh, I love that. Do you really want me to edit it out? Because it's pretty, it's pretty romantic. I don't want you to edit a thing. I am all about okay, the, the organic moment. Yeah, right. right. But what you left out that you meant to say is pot roast followed by double chocolate lava cake. That's oh, you, yes, is what I meant. And, and, and our, our white hot flame passion for each other is the melted ganache in the middle of the lava cake that, you, that only goes well with the right dessert wine. That's what I meant to exactly. say. Exactly. But one doesn't want to wax too romantic these days. That's all. 
But, I, you know, <laughs> pot roast is something you can have for breakfast, for lunch, <laughs> and for dinner. You can have it as a midnight snack. You can have yes. it when you're a baby. You can yes. have it when you're an adult. So yes. maybe pot roast is the sweeter thing because it's just you never really get enough. You can totally get enough of double chocolate lava cake, but you can't you know, get enough pot roast. Romance, desire, lust, these are sweet things. Love, there's nothing sweet about love. There's nothing, there's nothing plucky. Um, or it, that's not love. Love is, I will never fail you. I will sustain you. Um, and that's why it's important that we, we show ourselves the love first. We give ourselves the pot roast first because tell yourself, I got you. I will sustain you. I will never separate from you. You tell yourself that, then you don't need anything from anybody else. But we always give the pot roast to everybody. I say be selfish with your pot roast. You just turned like the most awesome pot roast comment into the most profound thing. Like, I've ever <laughs> like I really think about that forever. It's like, it's it, like, I never thought of love not being like sweet and romantic and like, like it's, it's, I will never fail you. And that's like so much deeper. So, wow. It, it's rock solid, man. That's that's my crock from the crock pot. <laughs> you are so funny. I don't think I've ever laughed as hard on an interview. It's <laughs> amazing. I, uh, I've got a face for radio. What can I tell you? <laughs> okay. Two last questions. One must-read book. Oh. Um, well, besides my own... Um, no, I think a must read book and I'm just, it's just cause I'm looking at it. There are so many must reads uniquely human is a book by Dr. Barry Prezant and, um, it will transform the way you look at the square pegs in your life and it will transform you. And I, I everybody has to read this book. I will have that as well as your book on the show notes for this episode. And the last question is, if you had a movie about your life, who would you cast to play you? I'm biasing this somewhat on, on um, some movie and television offers I've had, but the, the most compelling offer that I had to play me and the person I thought would do it just the best was um, David Hyde Pierce. Um, if, if you know him, he, if, uh, you're really young, but uh, I don't know if you ever watched Frasier. Um, he was Niles Crane, Dr. Frasier Crane's brother on Frasier. And he is, um, I, I think the key to pulling off Asperger's, and this is something mainstream media has not done well yet. And they won't because pop music doesn't do music the right way. Pop culture doesn't do culture the right way. Mainstream media is not going to get Asperger's right anytime soon. But I think if you're going to do it right, you have to capture um, the complexity. You have to capture what's funny about Asperger's, but you also have to really capture and express the pathos. You have to express what's dark and, and painful and challenging about it without making it seem like it's the end of the world. There has to be that, that balance of light and dark. And I think David Hyde Pierce is, is um, one of the best people to, to pull that off. Oh, that's great. I have no idea who he is, but I'm going to go ahead after this. I'm going to find out. He sounds wonderful. I'm 10,000 years old. <laughs> I have had so many people recommend to me to watch Frasier, though. 
So I yeah. feel like it must be a phenomenal show. It's wonderful. I mean, it's it's very, uh, you know, um, multi-camera, um, 1990s sitcom model. But um, it, you are uh, wickedly smart. You've got a fanta- fantastic sense of humor and you're very insightful. And I think the show would really ring true with you. Then I'm going to watch it. You watch... Burgers are us, and I will watch this. I will watch Frasier. You got it. And we will meet next week, Zebra Mochas, and we'll hash it out. Yes, sounds wonderful. (laughs) David, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been so much fun, and I'm just so grateful for your time and your energy and your book and your messages. Thank you. I love everything about this. I love what you're doing. Keep it up. You're doing God's work. And uh, I'm just really honored to be part of uh, part of the whole Maddie Moon ecosystem now. Thank you. Thank you so much. Everyone, make sure you go check on uh, check on out the show notes for this episode. Again, it's episode 149. Let me know your thoughts. Please comment on the post. Send it to your friends. Send it to anyone that you feel would really hit home with them on this and resonate with them. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.